0: Your Money, replay from Money FM 89.3. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. I'm reading A Savage Dreamland Journeys in Burma by a journalist for over two decades, David Eimer. 52-year-old British-American David Eimer travels from the old capital Yangon to the Burmese Himalayas in the north through a Buddhist-centric heartland and through the jungles where rebel armies fight for autonomy. It's been said you can't do business in China without understanding Myanmar or by its old name Burma. It's time to meet the author of A Savage Dreamland, David Eimer. David, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. So why the reference to Burma in the title, Journeys in Burma? What did you want to signal about the country and whose stories you were interested in telling in this book?
1: Well, I mean, in terms of the name, um, Myanmar is, is a name which was imposed on on the country really by uh, by the former military junta, which which ran it for almost fifty years. Myanmar is not a very inclusive name. In Burmese, it means swift and strong, which and um, it's a reference to the Bamar people, who are the uh, majority ethnic group. So it kind of excludes the one third of the population who uh, who aren't Bamar and who are who are minorities, but who often want who many of whom want autonomy for their
0: region you weave history and personal portraits and a political reading of the country did you get a sense of local sentiment of the place of Aung San Suu Kyi in the hearts and the minds of the people that you met?
1: I think she's Definitely still popular with um, the majority of people, um, especially the Maori group. Um, there's a huge legacy of goodwill towards her because of her role in fighting for democracy for so long. Equally, I think the disappointment that the country hasn't progressed economically as much as people thought. I think that when, they had, when she took over with the National League of Democracy in 2015, I think there was a sort of belief that you know, things that the country would suddenly leap up economically and everyone's lives would get better. That hasn't really happened.
0: It's been said that this book is the first of its kind. An outsider traveling through a country, uh, much of it closed to the uh, isolated from the outside world uh, forum about 50 years. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to write this book and, you know, was it difficult getting access?
1: Sure, it was difficult. I mean, um, large parts of the country are closed off because of um, conflicts, especially in the West, um, in Rakhine State, obviously the Rohingya crisis. Hmm. In the North and in the East, up against the border with China, there's also significant fighting between ethnic minority armies looking for autonomy, and the Burmese army. So it is difficult getting access. Um, you have to sneak around. Um, I was based in China for a long time, so I knew the Chinese side quite well, and I used to sneak in across the border from Yunnan into the, into the north and east, the west where the Rohingya uh, crisis is going on, it was almost impossible to get to. Mm. I think what I learned is just how diverse a country is. It really is the melting part of Southeast Asia, I and mean, it's got over 100 languages spoken in, Bur- in Myanmar. Officially, there are 135 recognized ethnic groups, but um, there might even be more than that. So, and that was amazing to see, this really is a diverse place. There's influences from China, from also from India, even from the Middle
0: East. Yeah, and a hundred different languages. Now, you're right, Burma is rich in resources of jade, precious gems, gold, copper, tin, and other minerals. From your time in the country, did you get a sense of what's really holding the country back?
1: Well, I mean, the, the issue is that, you know, the country is actually, you know, very rich in natural resources. There's also oil, there's also natural gas. Um, the problem is that when the military were running the country for, you know, for almost 50 years. Those resources weren't being used to enrich the country. Um, there's a, a massive lack of, under, you know, of investment in, in sectors like education, healthcare. The army takes about 14% of the entire budget. So, and, and that's a big, big issue. I mean, you've got all these resources. How to make them work so that the people actually benefit, and that's obviously what Onsanguti and National League of Democracy are trying to do. But it's um, it's a very slow process.
0: So you go to places where many journalists fear to tread. You actually visited war zones. Uh, what are you able to share with the world about the displaced minorities in the country?
1: It, it, it sort of goes back to your your team before, Michelle. I mean, I think one of the principal reasons they're so angry is that they to the natural resources in their areas, mm. going not to them, mm. but going to um, the Bamar, going to the military. And that is why they fight. If you speak to um, a lot of the minority armies, they actually sort of say explicitly, we're fighting for development. Yeah, we want proper roads. We want hospitals. We want schools. We want the stuff which other people in the country are getting. Right. And we want control over our natural resources which, rather like China, you know, the, the resources are concentrated in the regions where the ethnic minorities are. Right. You, know, you, you, don't, dig for oil, you don't dig for oil or gas um, or minerals in Yenangong or in Mandalay. They're all out in the borderland where the minorities live.
0: Given what you've seen of the country and what you've witnessed, what is your reading of Burma's future?
1: It's a hard question. I mean, uh, mm. you, know, you want to be optimistic about it. Um, people are very nice. The culture is really interesting. There's a sort of real lack of cynicism in Myanmar compared to other countries in Southeast Asia, partly because they've been so isolated for so long you know, they're really sort of, they're looking to the future um, in a positive way. Against that, the country has huge sort of structural problems. You yeah. know, it really needs to catch up with its neighbours and with um, other countries in the region, that's going to take a long, long time. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things in the West is, you know, you know and, and also maybe in, in a, com- a country like Singapore, is you, you expect things to happen quickly mm. because we're... Mm-hmm. More, more developed, you know, if you, you elect a government and you say, right, we want change now, mm-hmm. that isn't going to happen. Well, I think that was in, the hope when China. Aung San Suu
0: Kyi's civilian government came to power in 2015.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But people wanted sort of, like you know, instant change, and that's not going to happen. I mean, the government, you know, they are, they're working to try and amend the Constitution to try and remove the military completely from the political process, but that will take years. Investment in the countries will go up and down because of various crises, like, for example, the Hindu one. But there's still a lot of investment going in from places like Singapore, South Korea, Japan, China, not coming from the West.
0: In terms of, you
1: know, I'll just say in the short term, I'm kind of pessimistic about the future, but in the long term, I'm I'm optimistic.
0: Well, we know much of the country has been off limits to foreigners for so long. What was the reception like on the ground? You know, as you move through the countries, there's sort of uh fear is there the sense that you're an other and so are you treated differently how are you how are you received no the people are really nice i mean um
1: you know people are always pleased to see you you know i mean they're they're, they're friendly it doesn't matter if it's the are or the ethnic minority. people are always pleasant you know sometimes they're surprised to see you because they don't see too many foreigners in some regions right but people always people always you know they're very hospitable they're always willing to talk and um yeah, that, that's one of the pleasures of doing, is, you know, getting getting around and meeting so many people.
0: What did you hope that a reader would be able to take away from this book?
1: I think just you know the complexity of the country and how there aren't really any easy answers, which we all want in life. But also, I think hopefully that you know it's a country that is worth persevering with. I mean, um, there's a lot of talk in you know in the West about you know imposing sanctions, economic sanctions, because of the Rohingya crisis. I don't know if that's the best way forward in, the, in terms of, sort of the impact it will have on ordinary people. Mm. But yeah, the complexity of the country, and yeah, it's a country that it deserves a break, really. It's had a sort of tough history yeah. before, the, you know, before the military, it was the British. They had the Second World War, which completely sort of destroyed the country. So yeah, they, they, they deserve some luck.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to your next book. And congratulations on this one. David Eimer is author of A Savage Dreamland, Journeys in Burma. Really vivid a journey through, you know, most spots that most of us would never have access to troubled spots many not reported really vivid and a huge cast of characters the first of its kind in exploration of one of the most mysterious countries in the world to listen to more great interviews download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the sbh radio app available on google play or the app store